I'm sorry. I'm the <laughs> I'm the worst. Yeah. Welcome to Stargazing, a Stargate gazing podcast. I'm your host Kathy, and I'm your other host Mary. And every other week we discuss an episode of Stargate beginning with Stargate SG-1. I'm starting to feel like this episode is It kind of is. We might just call it the cursed episode. I know. Should we mention all of the reasons why we're (laughs) feeling like this is a cursed episode? Well, for starters, we're we're filming. We're recording this in January. (laughs) And the day we were initially supposed to record it was the day that the Capitol was attacked. So that was good times. That was so good. And then we... Then we were going to record it the next day, and a very dear family member of mine passed away, so that sucked also. And then we tried the following week. We did. And, and then my audio just went completely haywire for I have no idea so, what reason. Yeah. <laughs> so I just got angry and gave up. And, and you know what? That was for the best, I think. So, yeah. <laughs> Because I was still not feeling great from previous events, and just the audio issues just were making it. <laughs> and now this is our second attempt today, because the first <laughs> attempt was also not working. And hopefully the second attempt sounds fine. <laughs> 25th time is the charm. Yes. Right? Well, the king said I was daft to build a castle on the swamp, but I built it all the same. It sank into the swamp. I built a second one. That sank into the swamp. So I built a third one. That burned down, fell over, then sank into the swamp. But the fourth one stayed up. It's fine. I definitely haven't watched this episode like three times now. <laughs> well, you're doing better than I am because I've watched it over two different settings and or over two different sittings. And the first one was like right after my uncle had passed, and I was not in a very good mood. And then I didn't finish it until like a week later. So. You'll probably be more on top of things than than I will be. Maybe. I didn't, you know, fix any of my notes from the last time, so I'll still be like, I think this is what happened, but maybe you should check for me first. (laughs) Am I saying this wrong? Probably. (laughs) That's fine. Everything's fine. The only only new thing I did, I was like, I wonder if I can find out any information on the actor cat that played Schrodinger, but I found nothing, which just made me sad. So I didn't even need to tell you that. Now I've just got my hopes up for nothing. I'm also a monster. Thanks for that. Just adding adding more disappointment <laughs> to my life. Thanks, that's, Kathy. That's kind of my tagline, adding disappointment to life. <laughs> that actually should be my new Twitter bio, I think. It really should. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> um, well, yeah. hopefully those various issues are in the past, and hopefully we've got the audio thing straightened out. And once I move tomorrow, I'll have a better recording space. So hopefully that will help. Mm. And yeah, I, of course, we're dealing with moving. Jeff and I are dealing with moving. Kathy's not moving with us because. We have lived together in the past, but that was a long time ago. It would be weird if I up and decided to move in with you. It, it would be weird if you randomly decided to bring all your cats into our dog and cat menagerie and then just randomly joined up and it'd be a chaotic Agreed. mess. Agreed. Mo- mostly because Coconut would just constantly be chasing cats all over the place. That would kind of be funny. 
<laughs> suffer from my <laughs> very old cats who would be very very yeah. terrified yeah my cat is also very old i think pa- i tend to forget that because she acts like a much younger cat but she's like 15 yeah, mine too <laughs> old kitties Although Pepper wouldn't move, she would actually just growl and growl at Coconut, I think, because she doesn't, like, scatter. Probably better than what Potato does. Potato runs around and, like, acts like prey rather than just standing her <laughs> ground. Like, the rare occasion she stands her ground and just, like, swats Coconut in the face, Coconut will back down. But no, most of the time she'll just go and run out of the room and then Coconut's like, yay, we're playing! Oh! <laughs> And then she gets all excited and just wants to keep chasing <laughs> potato everywhere. Because, yes, I realize I'm victim blaming the cat. I mean, cats are often instigators of things that don't turn out their way in the end. So, yeah, potato is a big instigator of annoyance yeah. <laughs> in general. Especially now that we're now that we're moving. Did I tell you that like during the job interview, which I actually did end up getting the job anyway, thankfully. But in the middle of my job interview, she started playing in all of the boxes and making a ton of noise. <laughs> Right in time for me to do my demo lesson for the people that I was on a Zoom oh, no. call with. Yeah, it was good times. And like I said, thankfully I got it anyway, but I was pretty sure that they're like, well, what kind of shit show is happening yeah. over there? We can't hire her. <laughs> my coworker was on the other side of the wall today at work and he was rustling through some, I guess we had bubble wrap down there or something. But when I can't see a noise like that, I assume it's a cat. Like, that's my default. I didn't assume it was a cat, really, because I was at work. But I was like, it raised my, like, cat hackles. Like, what are they into? What's he doing? Why? (laughs) The really creepy thing that happens in this house is that I will hear weird noises and be like, what is the cat or what is the dog doing? And then I'll realize that the cat and the dogs are both sitting with me and Jeff won't be home. And I'll be like, yep. That's totally normal that I'm hearing cabinets open in other rooms <laughs> and then close again on their own. Not at all freaky. No. <laughs> What's that rustling in the attic? Who yeah. knows? <laughs> that's that's oh, creepy. Yep. This house is creepy. Yep. <laughs> but one of many reasons why you yeah, glad to be moving. Get me out of here, so it's fine. Yeah. Yep. One more one more night. So should we talk about this episode now and hopefully finally put this I first to rest? So, and hopefully everything is all good. So so this one that we are talking about today, this episode of Stargate SG1, season one, episode 17, is called Enigma. <laughs> I can't help but think about uh Mr. E Enigma from Batman Forever, which I used to I was that also movie. thinking about him. <laughs> Riddle me this, riddle me that. Who's afraid of the big black bat? <laughs> Bring on Tommy Lee Jones. There was no Tommy Lee Jones, which was sad. No, there was no Tommy Lee Jones in this episode. <laughs> or, or Jim Carrey or Val Kilmer nope, for that matter. Nope. The, whole, the whole crew just abandoned this episode. I, I yeah. think I heard they were all yeah. signed on as guest stars. <laughs> Would have made sense. Would have totally made sense episode needed jim carrey in a giant onesie so (laughs) absolutely (laughs) yeah so uh so to start we had nothing to do with batman and 
the end. That's really yeah. what we're saying about the episode. <laughs> oh, but there's there's a kitty and there's uh, there's a jerk and who in the end turns out to have good reason for <laughs> being a jerk. Yes, a non-Neil O'Neill jerk indeed. Yes. yes. There's very little teal in this episode, huh? I was just thinking about that. Yeah, he's not really a kinda, whole lot. He's just kind of there. More tilk. More tilk. More tilk. So we're on a planet. No way. A planet. I know. A planet. Who? Imagine starting a new episode of this on a planet. <laughs> a non-Earth planet. Wow. And I can tell it's not an Earth planet because Earth is not covered in volcanoes currently that are erupting <laughs> and destroying the planet. Currently. No, not currently. <laughs> currently. so we're on this planet there are volcanoes in the background doing volcano things there's uh, a lot of ash in the air it really made me laugh when Daniel's like what is this stuff in the air (laughs) (laughs) there's volcanoes in the background what do you think it is no it's just like ash (laughs) what's this stuff in the air ash so the team comes through the gate and they're on the planet Surprise. And (laughs) Carter observes that this volcanoing wasn't happening when they uh, sent the probe through. So how long was it since they sent the probe through before they actually came through? Because, like, the the volcanoes look to be way off in the distance. And so if they're this far away where they're getting, like, a bunch of ash and none of this was happening before, like, for that ash to have traveled this far, you have to have had a fair amount of time pass. Yeah. So, like, do they just send the map through and then, like, wait a couple days and send them through? Or even, like, a couple hours, I would think, would be too Maybe. Long. I always got the impression they, like, go right after. Like, hey, it looks good. Gung-ho. Let's go. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that would make sense. But that clearly wasn't the case oh. here. Because you can't go from no volcano, good air, to volcano, ash, and people dying yeah. on the ground <laughs> by the gate, as we're about to find. <laughs> The team, the team says, this is no good. Let's leave. And Daniel then spots something. He goes over and checks it out. And they find people laying in the ash, under the ash. Ash more falling on them. That is... <laughs> <laughs> more ash is falling on them at every moment. <laughs> some of them are alive, but some are dead. Daniel observes that, like Pompeii, they all suffocated before the lava started flowing. Which isn't really what happened, because they kind of were more, like, incinerated by hot air rather than suffocating, they think. But, I don't know, maybe the theory was different back when this was Or maybe recorded. Daniel just doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> maybe Daniel doesn't know what he's talking about, yeah. I think that, well, we've already seen that that is right. often the case. <laughs> As they're dusting off people to check whether or not they're dead or, dead or alive, Daniel sees they see some like copper boxes. I'm gonna call them coxes. Is that what we just said? <laughs> I think coxes. coxes. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah. <laughs> but they're on the people's arms. They don't know what they are. Hmm. Maybe we'll find out. Jack asks Sam how long they have left on the planet before the volcano goes. Real bad, kablooey, lava-y. And Sam says she does not know because she is not a volcanologist. And this brings the number of things that Sam doesn't know to two. 
the one branch of science, the second branch of science she doesn't know. The first one being midwifery. Yes. <laughs> she can't she can't deliver a baby and she can't tell you when that volcano's gonna blow. Everything else though, on the table. At least she admits her limits. Yeah, everything else is fine. It's true. Unlike blithely saying random shit like Daniel. <laughs> He's not saying random shit. That's terrible, but <laughs> Some guy laying in the ash, one of the Some guy. people who is not dead, a survivor will call him. He opened his eyes and lifts his head up and get, uh, just long enough to get a glimpse of Sam before he falls back to sleep. I'm glad you specified it was one of the people who wasn't dead that did that. <laughs> I really wouldn't have been sure for a second there. Hey, this is an alien planet. You never know. <laughs> Fair. Sam leans down to uh, check another guy and he grabs her and he's like, Don't help us. And Sam gets big eyes and he, you know, goes unconscious. That's a word. That's how you say that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and his, his don't help us is a little ambiguous, I think. Because he could be saying don't and then doesn't finish what he doesn't want them to do and then is like, help us. Or he could be like, don't help us. Don't know. Yeah. 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 It's all whether or not there's like a, an ellipsis or a coma in there between the don't help us and, you know, there doesn't necessarily. Yeah. If there's no punctuation there, then that obviously means something very different. And I guess we will find out probably very shortly. Yeah. Probably. I would bet after the credits, we'll find out. Because after the credits, despite what the guy said, they're bringing survivors back through the gate. So they're helping some of them hobble along, and then there are people bringing stretchers in, and then Hammond comes in and asks SG-1 what happened. And O'Neill says that they encountered some severe volcanic activity. And Hammond's like, who are all these people? He runs the base. Wouldn't he have wanted to know that before they brought anyone back like shouldn't he already know who these people are he was he was probably taking a nap or something but no i guess he didn't he was like wake me up when they get here yeah right so sam's sam says that they don't actually know like who the people are like what race of people they are but that they were just laying around the gate and that the air was getting toxic so they had to bring everybody back through too hot and also hot hot too hot Extremely hot and toxic. <laughs> uh, Hammond sent them all out to. Uh, Hammond sends them all to go get checked by Doctor Fraser in light of the toxic hot air, and says that they can wait and do their debriefing after they've all gotten the all clear from her. Sounds reasonable. Yep. So next we're in the conference room, and we start this scene through a water jug, which was kind of a fun transition opening of that scene i liked it Hmm. (laughs) i only noticed it the first time and then didn't pay attention (laughs) the second too so because that's how i do hammond is recapping that they've rescued 10 people who are all human and they seem to be all right gotta tell you if i was getting this news i don't know that i'd take it this well but you said he was all right Yes, he's lost his left hand, so he's going to be all right. You son of a bitch! So he offers them a hearty congratulations on the rescue. 
He then asks if there were not any buildings in the area when they were on the planet, and they tell him that they were trying to make it back to the Stargate and weren't really concerned with their surroundings that much. Hammond asks about the device on the arm, and they say that it was emitting low levels of radiation. These are the things they found out, not that they just intuited uh, looking at them. The coxes, right? The coxes, yes. These are the coxes we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. There are no moving parts or circuitry. There was another thing. I don't think I wrote it down, but I think you did last time. Chips. Chips, and it has no chips. No chips. So they got no clue what it is or what it does. Daniel says that he thought that they were um, a parallel culture to theirs, uh, but actually they might be way ahead of them technologically, given they have these mystery coxes. <laughs> and Hammond's like, but aren't they humans and didn't all humans come from Earth? And Daniel says, we'd be colonizing space right now if it hadn't been for the Dark Ages. 800 years where science was heresy. Heresy. <laughs> 800 years where science was heresy and anathema. And Daniel is wrong. Yes. He's yes, he is. just totally wrong. Like, first he's Eurocentric, but then he's yeah. also wrong about Europe. Right. So. Because there was a lot of stuff happening elsewhere, not in Europe. I mean, like, yeah, we probably would be at least somewhat farther along, but there were a lot of things happening in other places that weren't Europe. It's true. Even during the period of time that he was referring to. I have a lot of being the Middle Ages. Yeah, I have a lot of confidence that humans are very good at getting in their own way about things and we have would have no problems not progressing. Yeah. Whether or not we had eight hundred years of dark ages, which we didn't, <laughs> Daniel. <laughs> so basically with the Dark Ages some people were referring to the la- a lack of written record, uh, and others were sort of making it more of sort of a judgment on them, and it depended on who was saying it and what their time period was like. But even by the time this TV show was on, historians had moved away from that, the use of the Dark Ages, because mm-hmm. it's such a pejorative term and also not accurate. And there were some places that sometimes experienced something somewhat like a dark age, but it certainly wasn't all of Europe or the whole world for 800 right. years. 800 years, everything was on pause now. No. <laughs> God. Maybe be quiet, Daniel. Or only talk about Egypt. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so then an airwoman enters and tells Hammond that the leader of the rescued people would like to have a talk with him and the SG team. So they go. Yeah, they do go to the infirmary. And SG-1 and Hammond come in and they're directed over to the leader guy who spitefully rips off his oxygen mask (laughs) and asks who they are. And they introduce themselves and he asks where they are. Hammond says that you're on Earth and these people saved you. And the spiteful leader's like, well, nothing could be further from the truth. Which doesn't really make any sense. Like, I mean, like, I know later we learn more about this guy, but like, they clearly did actually just save you because half your people died. True. That is true. (laughs) So probably you would have also died, too. Yep. And that's pretty much what Daniel's reaction was, too. Actually, he's like, I'm pretty sure you're better off here. 
And the spiteful leader guy is like, well, there was a rescue transport on the way, but SG-1's arguing that half the people were already dead. And it wasn't likely that it would have gotten there on time. And the guy is like, that's more of a problem for you than it is for us, which didn't really make a whole lot of sense, but whatever. (laughs) He starts talking about how he finds it hard to believe that a culture as primitive as Earth could have been using the gate system anyway, and so doesn't really even know what SG-1 was doing there in the first place. Rude. And so, (laughs) yes, everyone's quite insulted by that, obviously. And... Tilk feels it worth mentioning that his planet is very different from Earth, but that on Earth life is very valued. And the spiteful leader guy is like, well, that's quite a statement coming from a Jaffa. And Hammond's like, well, who the hell are you? (laughs) And so the spiteful leader tells him that his name is Omak, so he does actually get a name. Woohoo! And their planet is called Tolin, and the Tolin people also. It seems to be that the planet and the people have the same name. That's nice. Makes it easy. Yeah. And Hammond asks if he knows what he knows about the hagfish and the Jaffa. And Omak says that they're aware of them, but they don't interact with them. And Hammond's like, well, then we have a common enemy. But Omak's like, well, I didn't say that they're our enemy. We just don't interact with them. Did I mention an enemy? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that seemed seemed like I was actually kind of laughing about that, too, because like that was a weird leap. If he just said that they don't interact with them. Saying, okay, all right, we have a common enemy then seemed yeah. like a bit of a leap. Must be nice for the Tolan, though. Yes. Yeah, really. Well, and so Hammond just kind of, kind of tries to cover by saying that it might be beneficial to be friends. But Omak says that they should just be allowed to go and he wants everything back that has been taken from them. And Daniel tries to explain that it'll be a while before the volcanoes die down, so it's not safe for them to go back to their planet right now, and there's not really anywhere else for them to go. And says that he would love to learn more about the Tolan culture, but Omak says that he has said enough, and he will say no more. And then as they all leave, Sam shares a quite meaningful look with some random dude across the room. Who also seems to be one of them. (laughs) <laughs> random dudes who look my god <laughs> random dudes looking <laughs> so in the hallway Hammond tells them to monitor the situation on Tolan and he wants these people gone as soon as it's safe because Omak hurt his feels and doesn't want to be <laughs> Hammond's friend so sad for him it's very sad <sighs> then in the gate room Sam is tinkering with a UAV. Something about the heat sensor, I see. She added a, a heat sensor oh, she, to it. Oh, sorry, yes. She added a heat sensor. <laughs> yes. Which, again, she... This is another talent of hers to just go add things to expensive military okay. equipment. Mm-hmm. More talents. She is talented. Theoretical physicist. Yeah. I mean, I guess heat sensors do actually relate to physics, so... I suppose so. Daniel comes in with coffee or something, and I'm not sure why he's allowed to have liquids near fancy military equipment, but that is a good point. He is, so we'll go with that. <laughs> Daniel has been asking questions among the Tolan, but they will not give up anything information wise to him. I don't know if they've given up other things. Like he's like <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> 
I'm sure Daniel tried to ask for one of the Coxes too, but maybe they probably didn't yeah. give that to him either. Like, you know, no. Well, anyway, he asks questions, they give no answers. And yes. he said, What of the Tolan has been particularly interested in asking about Sam? And Hammond wants to see Sam because he thinks perhaps she will have better luck than Daniel. So she drops everything and runs off to Hammond. She probably didn't run. I didn't see her run. <laughs> she left to go see Hammond. She finds him out in the hallway and he tells her that he hopes that the guy will open up to her more than the others, meaning Daniel. <laughs> as far <laughs> as we know, he's the only one that's also tried talking to them. So they go into the infirmary and the guy from before, the one that gave her the meaningful look, is sitting there. And apparently his name is Nareem. And Hammond's like, you remember him, right? And Sam's like, yes, from the planet. Which I would think would go without saying. (laughs) Did did I see you at Starbucks last week? Yeah. Right? Weren't you at the grocery store the other day? What are you doing here in this top secret facility? (laughs) But she mentioned you were a lot dirtier then, which is also pretty rude. So first she says something dumb and then she says something rude. Good job, Carter. So Nareem's like, Captain Carter? Or is it Doctor? And as you and I, Kathy, have already established, it should be Captain Doctor, Samantha Doctor Carter. But Sam says that he can just call her Samantha. So Hammond tells Nareem that Carter is very interested in their planet and perhaps Sam can take him up to the surface to have a look around. And Nareem promises to behave himself if he is allowed to do that. (gasps) So Sam and Nareem step outside somewhere. There's a little entrance. We don't it's not the the main entrance that you see in every like like, random side door. Yeah. So they go outside. And Nareem tells her he is glad to be alive, and so are the others, and thanks her, and tell your friends. <laughs> Which is nice, because it was a little bit hard to tell whether or not people were glad to be alive, based on Omak's reaction, so. Yeah, a little ungrateful. Yeah. So Nareem is already more nicer, more diplomatic. Yeah. So Nareem says he's not supposed to be talking to her, they're not supposed to be talking to anyone. And then he goes on to explain how he thought Sam was whatever their planet's version of an angel was. German. German. Uh, when he saw her. Because she's beautiful. So beautiful. Everyone loves Carter. I mean, she is gorgeous. She is, actually. Yeah. And very smart. <laughs> <Quite> so, yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think I remember that being a common theme that, like, pretty much everyone falls in love yeah. with Sam at some point. <laughs> Why not? But not only he learns not only that she was beautiful, but from Daniel that she's a brilliant scientist. He was very impressed by that. They start to attempt a conversation. Hopefully that would lead to maybe information sharing. So he says he's very curious about Earth and she's like, Omak doesn't share that quality. But then he's suddenly distracted by an eagle in the sky. I'm the people! By the people! For the people! flying animal sam explains that we call them birds and that there are in fact millions of animals on earth 
which is a big thing for Nareem because there have not been animals on Tolan for generations. I guess they're all vegetarians? I was wondering. I guess so. I mean, they're pretty advanced. They might just eat, like, nutrition pills or something. (laughs) (laughs) They're all on the, uh, what's that stuff called? The Soylent Diet. have you ever tried that stuff i tried it a while back i haven't i've had i know other people who have but i just i don't like drinking things i well i I, I like drinking things that makes no sense i don't like drinking my meals because i don't find it satisfactory yeah they weren't it wasn't all that filling yeah it wasn't bad it doesn't taste like much of anything which is kind of the point but it actually tastes a little bit like play-doh which is a kind of off-putting Ooh. no thank you i don't even like the smell of play-doh yeah, I don't either. So Sam offers to show him some pictures of animals, but don't tell Omak. And Nareem says he's just trying to protect everyone. And then he's a little bit cagey as he spots two military guys that were probably there the whole time. And just says, "Let's we should go back in. <laughs> Clammed up real quick for no reason. Good. Back inside, in the gate room, they're dialing out. There are science people all over which you can always tell because they're all wearing lab coats prepping the uav that sam had been working on before and up in the control room sam is counting down to lunch getting ready to send it through and once they've sent it through they realize that the planet is now completely uninhabitable things have not gotten any better since they left things have actually gotten a lot worse the temperatures are even more extreme and the atmosphere is pyroclastic as they describe it and O'Neill asks how long it'll be before it cools. And Sam's like, well, it's not going to be anytime soon, but it probably doesn't matter anyway, because the lava is heading right for the gate and will be buried within a couple of days. So it is pretty much impossible for them to go back to their home planet at this point ever. Uh oh. So they deliver the bad news to Omak. And he says, nature succeeded where we have failed. He, it turns out the Tolans were actually going, were there, the, the people who were there left over we're going to seal the gate and he explains that Tolan was a world in cataclysm clearly mm-hmm. <laughs> and that everyone else had already left and his team stayed behind to uh, close the stargate so no one else could return and be harmed the Tolans have found a new world outside the gate system so they're gonna need a ship guys and Daniel's like we don't have ships like that the our space program Seb says is a relatively 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 new oopsie what's gonna <laughs> happen now yeah. Omak looks pretty displeased yeah to learn that <laughs> he's having a bad day to that Omak yeah yeah it's hard to be Omak it is but don't worry he will take it out on you <laughs> absolutely <laughs> So the survivors are refugees now and in the meeting room they are trying to figure out what to do with them and where to send them because they don't want to be there on earth they need to be sent somewhere O'Neill suggests that they call on some of their friends that they've made on other planets and Hammond tells Jack and Tilk to work on that and Sam and Daniel are told that they need to prep an area to be basically a refugee camp for the Tolan. And then a little while later in that bunker that has been turned into a refugee camp, 
Hammond and Omak are talking and Hammond is telling him that they're going to be returning all of their devices as an act of good faith. And Omak says, well, they're not weapons anyway, so <laughs> screw your act of good faith, basically. <laughs> and Hammond says that, yeah, they well, we figured that out because we had them tested. And then Omak is pretty insulted by that because like, oh, you didn't trust us. You had them tested. How That's not good faith. And Daniel's like, well, we couldn't figure out what they were, so all of this is irrelevant. <laughs> so they try to assure Omak that they're trying to do everything they can to find a new home for them. And Omak wants to know if they have any say in the matter. And Daniel's like, yes, yeah, self-determination is a concept that's very important to us. And I wrote down the exact quote because I was like, who talks like that? <laughs> it's just Daniel. It just struck me as a weird, unnatural way of speaking. Yeah. So it was made clear that they're trying to make the Tolan as comfortable as possible, and they're doing their very best to try to find a new home for the Tolan. And Omak asks if they're prisoners, and Hammond says that they're not prisoners, but they are from an alien environment. And so the fact that they're being kept in this bunker is just as much for the protection of the Tolan as it is for the protection of the people on Earth. I have two things to say. One, did you see at the end of that scene where they just have this long shot of Daniel just staring that's how the scene ended. <laughs> they had a lot of they had a lot of time too, actually. I made notes of a couple other scenes that ended that way. It was weird. <laughs> Why is this happening? And my, my second thing is their welcome to Earth meal is bottled water, a fruit basket, and a pile of sandwiches. <laughs> I do like sandwiches though. Sandwiches are fine, but I don't know. Maybe give them a hot <laughs> meal. They just came from, although maybe they don't want a hot meal because they were just on a really hot planet. And that (laughs) might bring up bad memories. Could be. (sighs) Fruit. I'm just kidding. I like fruit. Some fruit. (laughs) Fruit is. (laughs) Fruit's fine. It's better when it's covered in chocolate. Most things are. I think. Actually, most things aren't. Many foods are. (laughs) Yeah. It's important to be that uh, specific about it. True. <laughs> My microphone here being covered in chocolate would not be helpful. That would be weird. I'd have questions. And it would be unusable and inedible. So yeah. <laughs> There would be no good to come from chocolate-covered microphones. No. We're still in the refugee center, Well, uh, but I think a little later. Sam goes to see Nareem. Check on him. See how he's doing. And Nareem is baffled by sheets. <laughs> yeah, because apparently their beds just adapt to their optimal temperature. Well, Latida, or the air is. I'm sorry, and the air the air does too, which I I would still want a sheet. I it's very comforting, even in summer when it's hot. I still like to have at least a sheet. Yeah, on it's nice. It is. Nareem doesn't know what he's missing. Sam offers to show him how to use sheets, and then she also gives him some books. She only means in the platonic way, though, not the fun way. Yes. Although Nareem clearly yeah. would enjoy... <laughs> Nareem clearly would enjoy it the other way. Yeah. <laughs> he gives her a long look and a thank you for those books. Sam then surprises him with a ginger cat named Schrodinger. Can tell you from experience, not a good surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Our cat, our ginger cat, was a surprise. <laughs> it hasn't ended up with us because she's a ginger cat. 
Uh, As I already referenced. Yeah, I had questions. So first of all, where did she get this cat? I think that, so when I was looking, when I was doodling around on, tootling, tootling around online at some point, I guess most people are under the impression that it was her cat. Oh, weird. Which I, it didn't even occur to me that would be her cat. Why would she just give away her cat? That's weird. But also, so is giving some random guy a cat. So maybe. But I, yeah, so I don't know where she got that cat. It could be her cat, but she could have just found a cat. Did she go adopt a cat to give away to somebody from not Earth? I don't know. All good. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, like, when you're filling out the adoption paperwork, some of that's pretty lengthy and involved. How do you tell them? I'm giving this to a non-Earth person. Yeah, I can't imagine that would fly with the adoption committee at whatever, well, assuming that it was from a rescue. I can't imagine that would go over very well. Yeah, I, I, maybe adoptions were easier in the late 90s. I don't know. Or maybe she bought it from Craigslist. Maybe Craigslist I don't know. Maybe she found it outside. <laughs> although, yeah. although she found a cat outside and just <laughs> gave it away. She found the best cat outside because this cat is super docile and gives them no problems throughout this episode super chill yeah pretty cute i'd rather have this cat than my own cat i think (laughs) oh poor potato she She has has so many toes though and she's very cute and she always likes when i pet her she does like to be pet yeah usually (laughs) except for when she tries to bite my head yeah that's not great about 50 percent of the time that i try to pet her i get my hand swatted and bitten oh that's <laughs> with upsetting. All 25 toes oh, oh that's yeah. is that extra claws too with the extra to- does she have extra claws with her extra toes oh yeah of course ah. Ah. okay yeah there's an extra claw on every extra toe excellent that's yeah, always yeah. fun yeah a claw in every toe <laughs> Just like a chicken in every pot or whatever that yeah. chicken in every pot, claw in every toe. <laughs> the ideal economy. Yeah. <laughs> so Sam gives him this cat named Schrodinger. Yes. And she's like, his name's a joke. Ha ha ha. Schrodinger's cat. Don't you get it? Yeah. No, he doesn't get it because he's from a different planet. <laughs> so she explains the con the the concept basically of Schrodinger's cat. And Nareem, Nareem gets it, and he calls it equi- equilibrium physics. And she's, Sam's like, we call it quantum fix- physics. And he says, yes, we, we studied this among many misconceptions of elementary science. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of, she looks so disheartened. <laughs> I know, although she, she goes, you're telling me you lick quantum physics, which sounds a little impressed, so she gets over that pretty quick. Uh, but but she doesn't like hearing it referred to as elementary science. No, no, but no. Yeah. <laughs> so they're interrupted though. Omak comes up and looks at Nareem with the cat. Sam Sam makes a an exit, so she'll be back later to help him with his sheets. He's just creeping up too, like he's slowly. Like, <laughs> the, the way they shot it, I thought was pretty funny because like Nareem and Sam on each on either side of the screen, and then Omak just slowly comes creeping up behind them. <clears throat> slowly comes creeping up like in between them in the shot but behind them where they don't see him it was funny <laughs> Nareem promises Omak I didn't tell her anything and Omak just stares <laughs> and looks grumpy because that's Omak indeed 
the meeting room. O'Neill mentions that they have meetings set up with another planet in the morning, and Teal'c says that they have many other planets that are eager to help as well, if that doesn't work out. And Hammond comes in and says that the refugees have escaped to make it I would expect nothing less of a base where Hammond is in charge. <laughs> Keep them back their devices, even though they didn't know what they were. Okay. <laughs> Outside, there are search teams with search puppies running around, and the dogs are very cute, and that delighted me. And it's nighttime, and they find the Tolan, who are all just standing around, hanging out. Omak comes forward and says that they were just observing the stars. And Jack tells them, well, it's time to come in then. And Omak angrily says, like, so we are prisoners. Yes, Omak, you are obviously prisoners. Get out while you can. (laughs) I mean, they already told them that they can't go outside for everyone's safety involved. (laughs) So why is Omak... It's just... I thought it was a dumb reaction. Like they'd already been told they needed to stay there for their safety and everyone else's safety. So why is he surprised that they're upset that they went out? I feel like it's like his like moral superiority. Gotcha. Like I knew it. I knew this about you and confirmed. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. You're very clever. Omak. Good job. Back inside. They're talking about whether or not anyone is able to figure out how the tolling got past the guards and Hammond says that all the security cameras all happened to glitch out at the same time. And so nothing was caught on any of the cameras to show them what happened. And they're trying to fix the issue and they're trying to see if they can get anything from the videos. But in the meantime, they need to go and meet with some foreign dignitaries. So they had been in Hammond's office and they leave there to go into the meeting room and leader guy from the land of light is there who I still don't remember if we ever got his name. They say it in this episode, it's Tuplo. Ah, okay, thank you. So Tuplo is there and tells Omak that the Land of Light is this wondrous place that would love to have the Tolan. And Omak is a jerk to him and very insulting when he talks about how these people are even more more primitive primitive than than you. (laughs) (laughs) And needless to say, Tuplo is quite angry that not only is his politeness and telling of the wonders of his planet snubbed, but they're now being called primitive. And there are angry faces all around. Omak is the worst. Omak is the worst. The worst. Back in the refugee room, Sam and Nareem are hanging out with uh, the Schrodinger. Nareem pats the cat. Sam is wondering why Omak is so obstinate. So Nareem tells her a little backstory about why Omak is so grumpy and unwilling to be nice or anything. <laughs> but really, they be polite. At yeah. Least, maybe so they're like, we refuse to share technology or goodwill. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, they said they, you know, they. The Tolans had figured out in the past how to explore space and they were excited because they got to go to their neighboring planet called Sarita. They don't specify who populated Sarita. Was it more humans? Was it someone else? We don't find out. I just thought that was curious. Yeah. But anyway, Sarita was, I think it sounds like they were kind of on par with Earth as far as technology goes. So... Being good neighbors, they gave them a device of unlimited productive energy. 
And the Ceridans, or whatever their name is on that planet, used it to make war. A tale as old as time. True as it can be. So, they destroyed themselves within a day of getting this, which is really impressive. Those are some productive people. Uh, Absolutely. Or really good weapons, or both. Yeah. Uh, And apparently this this destruction was so bad that not only did it destroy their planet, it shifted the orbit of Tolan just enough to make their world unstable and eventually get destroyed. So they're a little bit afraid now to trust people with their technology because they don't want that to happen again. That makes sense. Yeah. Sam asks what they were doing outside and he says, I promise we actually were just studying the stars and that the distance between Earth and their new homeworld is very far away. It would take more than a lifetime to get there by ship. So Sam's like, have you thought about staying on Earth? And he would stay to spend more time with Sam. Just kidding. I mean, I want to spend time with Schrodinger. Ha ha ha. Anyway, Nerdy has it bad for Sam. He does. He does. They're still in the refugee bunk a little while later. Omak is talking to SG-1 and says that their escape, their, their pseudo escape was a test. And everyone reacted exactly as the Tolan had thought they would. And they used threat and force to solve any problems. Because I think that the guys that were, like, I think the search team also had weapons on them, which I didn't mention before. And Sam's like, well, you didn't really give us any choice. And Omak says, you could have come for us unarmed. So, yes, they did actually have weapons. Jack says, well, you haven't really given us any reason to trust you now, have you? They continue to argue that... Omak should give his people the choice of where they want to go rather than just deciding for them where everybody is going to be settling. And Omak argues that, well, you're only trying to help us because what you really want is our technology. And Jack is continuing to try to figure out how they all got out of the bunker and outside in the first place. And Omak basically just says that they don't need to know. And all that really matters is that if they really wanted to, they could do it again. You would think that they would take away those coxes at some point. No since... kidding. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty clear that they are using some technology to help them. So maybe take away that technology, but no, they don't. No. And at this point, the same random lady from before comes in to say that Hammond wants to see SG-1. And Because that is her only job is to deliver messages like that from one person to another. Yes. Apparently. I should have radios. Save her a lot of work. Yeah, no kidding. the team have gathered because the surveillance video has been computer enhanced and they get to see how the Tolans escaped and they're not going to believe it so on the screen we see that the Tolan just walk through the wall and that's how they escaped which is pretty impressive Jack says that's pretty cool. Daniel's like, impossible. And Sam's like, only from the perspective of our limited science. <laughs> and Teal says this is knowledge beyond the gold. Yeah. yeah. So that makes it pretty impressive. Yeah. Then a, then a man comes up behind them and says, that's what the president and the Joint Chiefs want to hear. It's another military guy in his uh, dress uniforms. He salutes Hammond and introduces himself as Colonel Mayborn of the NID. A fictional branch of the government 
and they have a little snark between O'Neill and uh, and Mayborn, of course. Of course. Uh, Mayborn says Jack's attitude won't prevail with him, and Hammond wants to know why he's there. Good question. <laughs> Again, you've known that this other dignitary or this other fairly high-ranking official was on his way yeah and how does he gain entrance without somebody granting that permission well yeah exactly that's how, why yeah. he should have known that this person was on the way because he's from a different branch this is top secret yeah. how does he get permission if hammond hasn't been told and granted that permission and even if he's been you know granted permission to be in the stargate you know in in the mountain he yeah someone should have notified him and that they were there and yeah, yeah this is Yep. Yep. Maybe he found another like secret entrance in the forest and just took it in that way. It's possible. Rainborn doesn't actually even say why he's there. He's just basically like, didn't you get the memo? Uh, and you can tell he's going to be real fun for uh, oh, yeah. one. Mm-hmm. A little while later in the meeting room, Mayborn hands Hammond a file and says that they are to release the Tolan to his program immediately SG1 tries to argue that these are people that have rights and can't just be taken by different programs to be done with as they they want and Hammond does manage to buy them a little bit of time arguing that they haven't been through quarantine yet and the president would surely not want to be risking any disease and Mayborn's like well I have the full authority of the president and Hammond's like so do I and it kind of felt like they were just going to start unzipping their pants next for some size comparison. <laughs> <laughs> to me, anyway. As they're having this little one-upsmanship argument here. So, long story short, Mayborn's <laughs> like, well, alright, fine, I'll just wait here until they're done with their quarantine. And this part actually was kind of funny, because Hammond's like, that wasn't an invitation, that was an order. Looks down at his bars and then adds colonel because <laughs> obviously Hammond is much higher ranking and Mayborn's kind of pissed off about that but leaves the room anyway and then Jack's like didn't Dr. Fraser say they're all fine and Hammond's like well yeah but he doesn't need to know that <laughs> but then he also says that at best he bought them like another day da, da, da. surprise surprise Nareem and Sam are uh, chatting again Spending a lot of time together, those two. They are. Yeah. And Sam is explaining that he shouldn't ask for asylum now because that will just give him to Mayborn, basically, to do with what he will. And Nareem is, finds this a confirmation that Omak is right. And then Sam's like, it's not us. It's another part of our government, which, here we go. Ha ha ha. Why is SG-1 being so naive about this government of theirs? And we would totally use this tech to make war with the gold if it existed and we could get our hands on it. (laughs) And also anyone else on Earth we might find to be a problem. Right. Yeah, they're being a little bit naively idealistic. And I'm saying we as a person of the United States, but even a fictional (laughs) version of it. Yeah. She also says they're they're that part of the government specializes in chronic paranoia. <laughs> that just makes me sad about the world in general yeah. right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
Sam wants Nareem to convince Omak to take up their offer of one of the other planets who have wanted to be hosts. And Nareem doesn't think that's a good idea because they were all less advanced. And as he said, I think Sarita can happen anywhere. And I think he called them primitive again, (laughs) which Sam took offense to. Yes. Unsurprisingly. (laughs) And Nareem was like, I'm so sorry. I only meant technologically. And then he says that she's not primitive at all. And what your mind doesn't know, your heart fills in. (laughs) Sam doesn't know what that means. And neither do I. But she thought it was beautiful. She did think it was beautiful. I just thought it was bullshit. And (laughs) and Nareem's like, which is exactly what it means. Which is more BS. Cringy scene. So, yeah, Sam, what he's saying is you're a dummy, but you're pretty. So, yeah. (laughs) So it's okay. Pat on the head. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Back in the meeting room, Daniel and Mayborn are looking through a window and basically spying on him and as he talks into his red phone. And. They're talking about what Mayborn hopes to get from the Tolan, which is, of course, superior weapons, not to anyone's surprise. And Jack tells Mayborn that they're not going to help you. Hammond comes out and really likes to brag that he's been talking to the president. So, <laughs> of course he does. He's, of course, is like, I just got off the phone with the president. Mayborn apparently does have permission to relocate the Tolan immediately, despite Hammond's arguing. And Mayborn says that he's going to be taking them to a secure community in the Rockies, trying to make it sound much nicer than it will probably be in real life. And SG-1 basically calls his bullshit on that and says that the community that he's talking about is going to be surrounded by barbed wire and they're all going to be forced into intellectual labor, essentially, and will be prisoners for life in this lovely community in the Rockies. And Mayborn tries to argue that they'll have a better life than most Americans and they're going to have a good view and tasty food. Daniel's like, I can understand intelligence and the Pentagon doing this, but the president, I I voted for him. (laughs) Oh, Daniel. (laughs) Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So Mayborn tells him to have the Tolan ready for transport at 0600 tomorrow. So Hammond uh, is feeling a little uh, rivalry, right, with Mayborn over his relationship with the president clearly jealous yeah i mean first he's rebuffed in his friendship offer to omak and now he's got to worry about his standing with his bff right yeah, yeah. mayborn's clearly trying to, to to put a wedge in between that bff friend, yeah. friendship there or that bff relationship there it's very sad poor it hammond hard to be hammond not knowing what's going on at your job and then having your best friend relationship be on ice it's tough. but don't worry they're gonna plot to stick it to mayborn they are. So Hammond walks out of that little exit in the middle of nowhere to talk to <laughs> SG-1 about, so without Mayborn's present, which, presence, excuse me, which I'm not sure outside is lo- any less obvious than just finding a random room they could shut themselves in somewhere inside. Because there's still guards standing right there yeah. by the door. Oh, <laughs> so Where'd the general go? Where's SG-1? What are they doing outside? outside? Oh, we're just enjoying the scenery. Taking a little break. Fresh air <laughs> by the vehicles here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so trying to figure out what they can do to help the Tolans um, escape. 
And Hammond says, we'll, we'll all be court-martialed. And Jack's like, I barely care. But but then they say that Daniel can't be court-martialed, which, ooh. But my response is, but what about some other kind of crime he's doing right now? Just because right. he can't be court-martialed doesn't mean he can't be arrested for something. <laughs> True. They kind of they kind of address that later and brush it under the rug, which I, in a way that I won't spoil. But <laughs> yeah, because I also think that's bullshit. But <laughs> I agree. And, yeah, back in the refugee room, Omak is complaining that Mayborn wants them to undergo some testing. And Daniel says he's trying to protect them from Mayborn, and Omak is like, "Do you have somewhere for us to go?" And Daniel's like, "No." Omak's like. I have nothing else to say. Again. <laughs> yeah, he's very helpful in all of this. But then Daniel's like, actually, though, I do know a place you could go, but I don't know how to get you there. But maybe you have the technology. <gasps> Omak is suspicious that they are still attempting to steal their technology. But Daniel explains that, no, 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 we went to this place once with these people called the Knox and that they felt the same way you do about us so they locked the door behind when we left <laughs> and we don't know how to get back there <laughs> Daniel has the coordinates to the planet and Omak it sounds seems like Omak might know how to do this so he's got to he, but he needs to go back to the mountaintop where they escaped to before in order to execute this plan and Daniel's like, wah, wah, I can't get you out. Omak's like, not a problem. And then Daniel says he has to go with them, which I'm not sure I understand why Daniel has to go with them for this part. Probably just to keep an eye on him. I guess. I would guess. To say that he was <laughs> with them and so that they're not like on their own i guess I but then if they just escape on their own it avoids the entire problem of possible arrest and court-martial yeah <laughs> anyway yeah. so daniel's like i gotta go with you <sighs> omar tells daniel to give him your hand and daniel's like what he's like do you want to come so daniel holds his hand as omar pushes some buttons on his cocks <laughs> which i guess is the singular of that coxes yeah. so <laughs> omak pushes the button on his cocks for some reason they still have them even though they know they can walk through walls but anyway it works out because the wall gets all wavy and he walks through and daniel again as daniel does takes a moment to sort of like marvel at it but then omar yanks him through <laughs> And then they're outside. And they're taking a nice little outdoor nighttime hike. Omak asks Daniel for the coordinates again and takes out a device that he puts on the ground and pushes a couple buttons and a light beam is sent off into space. And like, I don't know how this could have been any kind of a message, but apparently it's supposed to be a message. But like he pushed two buttons and sent a light beam. Yeah. But like, you know, there, there was no time to program anything in like to program the coordinates in no time to program in like the coordinates for where they are or what they want <laughs> so i guess he was just using some mental telepathy to compose his message before he sent it off in light beam form i guess so these are some pretty magical devices they are yeah 
And Daniel says that he's not an astronomer, but he does point out that this is a light beam that they just sent and that at the rate of light, <laughs> that it would take thousands of years to reach the Nox. And Omok's like, well, why would it take so long? And you know, as we just said, light takes time to travel places. So Daniel mentions that fact and Omok picks up a stick and gives Daniel a little elementary physics lesson points to the two ends of it and says that they should seem really far until you do this. And he bends the stick and puts the two points together. Has a cute little mischievous look on his face, which is like the first time we see him not scowling for the entire episode. And Daniel's like, oh, I remember this from college. You're talking about folding space. (laughs) And Omak looks really disappointed and is like, no, you wouldn't understand. (laughs) And so Daniel's like, well, let's hope the Knox do. And then again, we have a, like, a shot of them like just staring <laughs> off <laughs> for a few seconds before the end of the scene. Poor Omelak having to deal with these dum-dums. Yes. It's hard. They're in this, the control room. Sam is at the computer typing things. Nareem's voice seems to come out of nowhere. He's announcing himself, though, and then walks through the wall into the room. <laughs> I was wondering how he did that. Like, how did he just throw his voice into the room? Does it, does your voice travel through the wall too? Like, had he already like squishified the wall and then just started talking through it? Maybe. I guess. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Sam is very impressed (laughs) with his wall walking and wants to know how he's, how it's done. And Nareem says, very carefully. So he's there to say goodbye because they're going to be leaving soon either way, either with Mayborn or some other way. (laughs) (laughs) And he's going to miss Sam and be real sad about it. And Sam says that you'll forget about me, trying to comfort him. And then Nareem gives her one of his coxes, (laughs) which is apparently an emotion recording device. That he's worn each time they were together. What's the point of an emotion recording device? I don't know. I'm sure it has... Let her feel exactly what he felt. I guess so, because that's what happens. So he tells her to touch his red triangle (laughs) and close her eyes. And then she can feel his feelings for reasons. Yep. Sam doesn't know what to say, she says. So Nareem kisses her. Which is their custom. It's their custom. Yeah. <laughs> Sam's like, that's our custom too. So they kiss again and yeah. Daniel runs in. Oopsie, he says. <laughs> Whoops. He's got to do some stuff in here and he needs Sam's help. So I guess this is the end of their romance. And Sam tells Nareem to get going and to take the cat with him. Yes. Which hopefully this new planet will be amenable to yeah life yeah so she just gave somebody who has literally never seen an animal before an animal to take care of yeah with no idea what it needs yeah. in order to have a happy cat life <laughs> or how to keep it a healthy cat good luck nareem enjoy schrodinger yep <laughs> as it knocks all your shit off your counter <laughs> jack would have brought him a dog it's true dogs are better So later on, Hammond and Mayborn are talking about transporting the Tolan, and the random lady comes in again and says that the fugitives are gone. 
And Mayborn gets all angry and is like, what do you mean? And the lady is like, like, like poof. <laughs> <laughs> and she explains that they did try to keep them in the room as they were told. But uh, even though she stood in the path herself, they just walked right through her. <laughs> and then we get the sound of an unknown activation. in the control room they're talking about how all the security measures are failing and the iris has been opened by whoever it is on the other side the blast door is down so they can't really see what's going on down in the gate room but when it is raised we see all of the tolan and daniel standing at the base of the ramp the gate is dialing out but it's not dialing out using the normal computer controls that they would use for like a typical mission and they've basically been locked out of the system. And Mayborn starts freaking out and talking about how it's a court-martialable offense that is happening down there in the gate room, since it's pretty apparent that Daniel's trying to help all the Tolan out. <laughs> but Jack reminds him that Daniel isn't military and so cannot be court-martialed. Checkmate, Mayborn. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And also, he also says that it would be pretty tough to find a civilian law to cover what is happening, but... Like we were saying earlier, like you'd think there'd still be some kind of punishment, at least even within the military or somewhere that could happen. I am sure this, they whatever. could think of something to charge yeah. him with. Yeah. <laughs> Mayborn says through the microphone that he will have Daniel removed from the program forever if he does this, which spoiler alert, that does not happen. <laughs> Mayborn says that wherever they send the toll in, He's going to hunt them down. But Sam says, well, we're not sending them anywhere. The gate's being dialed from off world. So they're being sent for. And Mayborn, of course, wants to know who would possibly be sending for the Tolan. And then the Lady Knox comes through the now open gate and greets them all. And the gate closes. Woo! Woo, indeed. Mayborn is still trying to assert his authority here. And he's talking about how he's got his presidential order to take the aliens with them and don't let anyone pass and tells all the guards down in the room to use force if necessary. So all the military peeps down in the gate room, draw their weapons on the Tolan and Lyle looks around very disappointed and says, your race has learned nothing, but you have, but like how much did she expect all of humankind as a race to have learned in the few weeks since we found out who the Nox are? <laughs> it does. It does, seem, it does seem a little bit rushed, but yeah. So she introduces herself to the Tolan and asks them to come and join her and the rest of the Nox on their planet. And that seems to be pretty agreeable to Omak. Woohoo! Finally. Jeez, Omak. So picky. He is. He comes up the ramp and tells Daniel that Nareem was right about him and says that perhaps they'll meet again. So thankfully, we've already learned that there's that precedent for ignoring orders because all of the Tolans start heading up the, the ramp at this point. And even though they've been told to fire, the guards do not actually fire on the Tolan <laughs> as they're trying to leave. Mayborn continues to try to yell at them, though, to, to stop and says that he's going to have them open fire. But as soon as he makes these threats, the guards lift their weapons and do take a step forward. However, in just a second, there are no people there for them to fire on because... 
Lia has used her mental power to reopen the gate and to make the tol- the Tolan disappear. Yep, she's uh she's badass, pretty powerful. Yeah, she is. And so Mayborn tells them to fire, even though there's now nobody there for them to fire on, except for Lia and Daniel. <laughs> pew, pew. And so she makes their weapons disappear too. Yep. yep. And Jack's like, God, God I, I love, love those, those people. people. So we continue to look at the gate for a minute, and then it closes after everyone has gone through, and Mayborn is very unhappily, angrily storms <laughs> off in a huff. Aww. And Hammond and Sam and Jack go down to the gate room and join Daniel. And apparently Teal'c was already down there, too, because he comes walking up from the corner. Yeah, he was just kind of hanging out in the background yeah. through the whole thing. I guess he can't really be court-martialed either, so. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Why didn't he have to hold Omak's hand and go through the wall, too? Right? Yeah. And, like, why did they actually really need Teal'c or Daniel to be down there anyway? They didn't actually need to be involved in this in any way because it was all Lya doing all yep. the gate opening and, yeah, whatever. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so Jack tells Daniel that he did good and Tilk asks what's going on with Mayborn and Sam says that he's a pretty unhappy camper and it's gonna be gonna be hell to pay when he gets back to Washington, according to Hammond. Jack notices that Daniel's got a strange look on his face and asks what he's thinking, and Daniel's like, Oh, I was just thinking about a guy with funny hair. The very young do not always do as they're told. Oh. So now we have now ended two episodes with that saying which makes me think that every once in a random while we should end the podcast with that instead of saying the end (laughs) i mean we should (laughs) so did you like the episode kathy despite all of my tangents and daniel being super wrong and (laughs) the nonsensical way he had to go with them at the end i overall i i enjoyed the episode i i again it's a one of those episodes where the perspective of the SG team is not necessarily the correct one in the sense that they don't understand why the Tolan are so reticent to open up to them, but they're kind of right about that, especially yeah. given the fact that they're one, they're one group of people on a planet of billions who would all really love to have a bunch of technology that could kill one another and more of it than we already have. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I continue to like that uh you know, like these are these are our heroes, but they're also not always right and don't understand what's going on. Right. And I like the kitty. I hope he has a good life on another planet with his new friend, Nareem. Mm-hmm. Um that was a cute kitty. And Nareem seemed okay. I don't know. So yeah. <laughs> that was a very vague yeah, but I liked it, I think. <laughs> I think I liked it too for the most part I was in a really bad mood watching the first three quarters of it uh, for many reasons (laughs) already addressed and also I kept getting interrupted while I was watching it so I was getting annoyed because like I kept getting all these text messages and stuff I needed to respond to which is why I ended up giving up because I was just getting too many messages coming through from various places that I needed to address so I was really stressed out during the first three quarters, which made it hard to enjoy. But when I did finally get around to watching the the rest of it, I did enjoy it. So I thought it was a pretty entertaining episode for the most part. And as annoying as Omak was, it it did feel like it was kind of understandable when we figure out eventually why he is the way he is. Yeah. 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 So what's next? Oh, right. Sorry. Next. <laughs> I will go quick. Sorry. 
I'm doing Netflix because I already looked at the descriptions in other places and they were all very spoilery. So let me. So next up is the episode Solitudes. A Stargate malfunction leaves O'Neill and Carter stranded in an icy crevasse on an unknown planet. Ooh. I actually quite remember this episode. So I don't think I do. So I won't, I won't say nothing right. then. Let you enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, as always, thank you for listening. And if you need to get in touch with us, you can reach us by email at stargatesing at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter at stargatesing. You can find us on Facebook. We have a page and a group. If you would like to like the page or join the group, you can find us on Patreon. We're patreon.com slash stargatesing. And donations are always appreciated if you're feeling generous there over there. Our website is stargatesing.space. And if you haven't already done so, please hit the subscribe button on whatever podcatcher of choice you happen to be listening to. Or you can also find our episodes on YouTube. And any likes or reviews are greatly appreciated. I am Mary. I'm Kathy. <laughs> You've been listening to Stargatesing. The very young do not always do as they're told. Indeed, the very young do not always do as they're told. <laughs> Some guy laying in the ash uh, opens his eyes and <laughs> some guy la- uh, good luck to you with this one. Uh- <laughs>